Yes, yes, yes. Peace, family. We're back with another DOA TBM podcast. And, you know, we got a, a real mighty fine special episode for you today. You know, this one definitely going to be powerful. You know, it's nothing but family business, what we're representing. And um, before I introduce, like, my, well, I don't want to say my guest, because this family right here, so we're more than, it's, it's more than just a guest. Um, so it's something special, man. We're cut from the same cloth. We're from the same bloodline and everything. And most importantly, even before we get into this, I want to say, you know, this brother right here has been doing great work in the community for years from levels of um, coming from the community to working his way up, still paying his dues, still giving back to the community, still working amongst the people and spreading a positive message. And I ain't just saying that just because we're family, I'm saying it because it's real and we give credit where it's due. So um, without further ado, we got special guests, you know, family, VIP hosts, criminologists, community activists, Craig Pinkney representing what's good, bro. Yes, King, what are you saying, man? Thanks, family, for having me on the platform. You know, with all the stuff that's going on in the world, man, I think it's time that we're rough and ready to just, you know, go into some some real, real things. Of course, and I mean, even you say, you know, when we even started this, going back years ago, you were one of the first people that was on the platform. You know, when we do real talk and stuff like that, yeah. um, even, you know, when we had some of the old intros, before we even got to what we're doing now, when we just had the vision of what we wanted to do, we had your image in there, even talking, say, you know, education. So you've kept that educational journey going, you know, um, for well, well over, what we say, well over 10 years, you know. Um, yeah. And this is one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on here, because a lot of people, what we know from the community, once they generally take that educational journey, a lot of times they become detached from the community, they become detached from the people, they become detached from the families and stuff like that. But you're somebody who's always still been around, still sort of kept in the loop. And even now, as you said, 2020 pandemic going down, it's only right that we check in, it's only right we connect and um, just look at how we can push things together from a street level, educational level, and how all these things can kind of be pulled in together. So, yeah. uh, you know, um, with that being said, you know, you've been studying for the past uh, few years, been working and stuff. You've been working within the, the Birmingham Local Authority. It's, you've moved on now and set up your own company. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about the Soul Project, you know, the Centre for Youth Violence and Conflict? Most yes, so I'll start off with this. So, um, just to kind of, in, in a nutshell, I used to, when I first kind of started off, I was doing voluntary work. You remember Increase the Peace? Uh, this, time, this is going back to like... That's going back. Well, 2003. Used to, I remember used to come through with the badges and all that. Yeah, place. I remember it was a, uh, it was a long time ago. And then remember the connections where we remember we had Birmingham connections at the library with Wesai and Yasmin yeah, and Christine. Yeah. Um, and then I guess once I kind of went to university, got my degree, I started working for Birmingham Youth Service uh, for the City Council, um, where I was based at Oakland Youth Centre. I was there for about three and a half years and then moved on. Um, to working at the Lighthouse, um, which was based in an area called Newtown, Lazales. Um, and then I had some issues at the work when I was there and then was at Summerfield Youth Centre for a okay. short time and then left. And then when I left, I had the opportunity to um, be a part of a project called the EU Gangs Project um, and to teach on a course called Responding to Gangs and Serious Youth Violence. And I remember at that particular time, I only did it, it was just an opportunity to just teach people about some of the issues that was going on in the local community and up and coming mentors, youth workers, um, I guess were signing up to kind of be a part of it. But very, very quickly whilst I was on the programme, I guess the 
students were kind of feeling my vibe and respecting the knowledge um, and the life experiences. And then the university asked me if I wanted to do some more hours. And then that kind of quickly evolved into a part-time job. And then went to a full-time job. And it's funny because starting off and being trained as a youth worker, I never thought that I was going to be a lecturer. And it just kind of happened. So when I did become a full-time lecturer, I wasn't only res- um, working on the programme, responding to gangs and serious youth violence. I then become the UK lead for the project that they were running called the EU Gangs Project, which gave me the opportunity to go to places like Romania, Italy, Cyprus, Greece, France, to develop understanding about what youth violence looked like in their context and develop kind of best sport programmes that we could roll out here in the UK. Um, and then also I was um, had the opportunity to develop a lot of programs and modules. So I was developing um, youth work courses um, or modules um, and then developed a module around criminology and criminal justice, offender management. Um, and then you've also got to bear in mind that I just had finished my master's degree in criminology. So a lot of things was ultimately happening for me at that time. Yeah. So seven years I was there, you know, had loads of opportunities. I traveled around the world, America a number of times to present some of the research that I was doing. Um, had the opportunity to go to Jamaica, you know, home nice. um, to work yeah. with the Ministry of Justice around strategies of reducing violence. And so I had a, a real good run. And then I just came to a point where, you know, I just felt like it wasn't for me anymore. I didn't feel like my value was being appreciated. And then thought I wanted to start my own thing. So I guess I left in the beginning of 2020 with six months in. So I built a uh, my company called a Center, solved the Center of Youth Violence and Conflict, in which we do research, we do staff training and development, we do consultancy, advocacy work, and we also do detached youth work, where we go out into communities in all the so-called hotspot areas and work directly with the so-called young people that are claimed or um, deemed to be hard to reach. So that's what I've been doing so far. I've got a strong team at the minute. Um, so myself, whilst I'm directing, I've got a research team. So I've got Dr. Martin Glynn from Birmingham City University. That's the head of our research team. Um, alongside Dr. Shona Robinson Edwards from Warwick University, um, which also helps with the research side. Um, and then we've got the um, therapy side to some of the stuff that we do. So we're getting some assistance from a sister named Clancy Williams, um, which is doing stuff around therapy. Um, then I've got a project manager, Felicia Downey, that's doing some stuff around that. So we're building as a movement, man. You know, one of the things that I think is very important is black excellence, well, black self-reliance. You know, um, you know, we're talking about all of those things that we were brought upon. You know, we're coming from family where, you know, our grandparents, you know, started an amazing movement, you know, under the Nightingale Project. So it's in our DNA um, to respond to community, to be from the community um, and talk community and not, you know, compromise um, and compromise who we are and what we are, you know, to fit the need of our oppressors that ultimately are out there to, to stop us from doing what we need to be. So I'm all about black excellence, you know, but in a way in which we're utilizing our skills and our talents to be able to can meet the needs of our community and those that are around the national world or wherever we find our people. I think, no, definitely. I want to say, you know, it's definitely commendable and hats off. And, and I'm somebody who's been able to um, see some of that journey unfold, especially from, you know, as you said, the, the natural aspects of it, because a lot of people won't realize this, you know, what you've manifested has been so natural. And it's been, um, you know, like you've been chosen to do it in a sense because 
you know, as you said, even going from the university to the job stuff, a lot of it wasn't pre-planned as such. It, it was all um, a beautiful manifestation of how it rolled out, which is even great to see where you're at now, even being able to set up your own company and take it to a position where you can do more for our people and do more even for yourself. Because as we know sometimes, and a lot of us in the streets, you know, some people, they, they, they try and steer away from going into um, the system sometimes, but it's, it's, it's a necessity at the same time as well. And we still need people that are working within the institutions and even being able to um, garner knowledge and bring that knowledge sort of back. So um, also I want to say peace to um, you know, the team that you've got there working and stuff as well. Martin's doing a few of the names and stuff that have been mentioned. So um, even just to touch on that, these, these are things that we know there's been a lot of issues going on in the community for years. You know, now we're in 2020, we're facing brand new issues. We're not just seeing um, the youth violence. We're still seeing youth violence out on the streets. People are restless. We're still seeing, you know, I've seen some crazy incidents, stabbings, killings and stuff like that. And hopefully we can really put a rest to it because on, on a street level, a lot of people are coming together trying to make um, positive changes needed. But in terms of the sort of link with the information from the, from I guess from a high level, to, to a low level, how do you personally, because you're quite, what you do is quite unique, because you're able to sort of get the information and filter it down back to the streets. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, about, yeah. I don't want exactly. yeah. to, I, I know our family lineage and our background, so I, I still don't want to come off bias and say, you know, it's just, uh, it's something that's in you. But, mm. you know, what really moved you to say, you know, I, I'm going to stay real like this because, um, it's not easy, especially when you're out there working in certain institutions and there's pressure to conform and stuff. Now in 2020, at this time, it's a beautiful time. We're actually seeing more people around the world waking up and looking at things and saying, you know what? We've been treating a particular group bad. We've been marginalizing them. Um, let's, let's look at making some changes. When you've been working in these institutions and around a lot of these people, are these sort of conversations you've had over the years? Because, you, you know, you must have been around, I guess, um, a lot of different others and, you know, you're there to teach them as well at the same time. So, um, what's I think it's important. I think one of the things that, as I said before, like I'm never compromised. Um, I've always been taught and we've been taught, you know, to be who we are and be proud of who we are. Um, and anywhere we sense, or it's almost like a spider sense of, of injustice yeah, or someone is speaking incorrect towards us in a real way, we challenge it. Yeah, yeah. You know, challenging it don't mean that it has to be violence, but of course. challenging people with knowledge, wisdom and understanding, you know, we would hope that they have an understanding of what it is. So, yes, being in these institutions, I've faced racism, I've, raced, I've, 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 I've been in environments where, you know, people are passive aggressive, um, where individuals, you know, you're making you feel like you're going crazy um, with some of the things. And these are the things that exist. And I think when we talk about these these kind of issues that a lot of black men and black women um, are exposed to in institutions is the systematic nature of racism. And I think when we talk about racism, a lot of us don't understand what racism is. And Dr. Frances Chris Rousin explained it to us. And she explained it to us in the, in the fact that racism is a dynamic that is a local uh, and global power that operates in all forms of human activity. So whether that takes place in education, whether that takes place in entertainment, whether that takes place in law and the governance yes. of law or politics or religion or sex or war, all of these things ultimately happen. So when individuals are in this particular environment, you know, and these behaviors and attitudes and thoughts mm -hmm. um, ultimately are expressed towards you, 
oftentimes you can't articulate what's happening because no one ain't calling you a, a black bastard. Nobody is calling you a nigger. But you feel that the way that they're dealing with you is a, a particular type of way. It's injustice. And I always say that from a scripture perspective that the heart knows and the heart knows where oppression is. And we know that from the Quran that oppression is worse than slaughter. And we know this so oftentimes when we come into these institutions, for many of our people, because we're caught up in the idea of um, we need to pay our bills and we've got uh, families to feed, oftentimes we are in these kind of environments and we just kind of feel like, you know what, it's better I just either conform or I don't say nothing. But by doing that, what it does is it impacts our mental health because we're supposed to be treating fair and equal. We yeah. ain't supposed to be conforming and shifting who we are and we're the minority. We're not the majority, we're the minority. So yeah. why do I have to change my whole being in order to make you comfortable and you're the majority in the building? But these are the things that ultimately we go through. And because we don't understand what racism is and the way in which racism plays out in the field, oftentimes we find ourselves confused. And one of the things, the three things that we generally do, we either become complacent, we either um, switch and go crazy, yeah. or we keep it in and it starts to impact our mental health. And it's interesting because I seen a video the other day that came out and it was a brother from our community. It may have been London. It was a Rastafarian, an older elder. Okay. And he was on the bus wiling out. And I remember I, people I posting see it. I, I see it. I remember I people posting <laughs> it and saying, oh, the man's mad and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But now, George Floyd got killed in America. And now everybody's having a conversation. I say, rewatch that video Thank and you. listen to what he was saying. Feel and then you start to understand what I'm talking about of the expression and the feeling of individuals that go through this systematic injustice that we go through every day. And these are the effects that it has on our people. And ultimately, in conclusion, is that that system is maintained through a capitalist society. And that capitalist society enables us to be distracted from all of the things ultimately that we're supposed to be staying focused on in order for us to move forward and be self-reliant, um, be self-independent, and so on and so forth. Amen to that. I got to say, well, you know, you just broke down, you know, so many valid and so many powerful points. Um, you know, there was so much I still want to, I still want to expound upon, but you just, you summed up so much just in that little bit where you just said, um, even in terms of pointing towards how racism is a system and a tool, which is what people are growing more into the understanding now. And what I've heard a lot over recent weeks is, people have started to identify the differentiation of how racism has worked within the UK in comparison to the Americas. Now, I know even somebody that, you know, you, you know the American style, you've been traveling a lot, you know, you mentioned uh, Francis Cresswell, and I know personally, you studied and you know a lot of, um, you know, you didn't taught me some stuff even back in the day from, you know, the study that you didn't went out and done from your own accord and stuff as well. Um, People say in the UK they feel more of a, a subtle sort of racism where it isn't as overt as it is in, in America in certain places, but yes, it still does exist. We've personally been on the front line. Um, you know, I was at a march the other day and, and it, you know, the, we've been at these, these marches going back maybe 10, 15 years. You know, yeah, yeah. you know we've marched for Kingsley Burrell, we've marched for um, Dimitri Fraser, Mark Duggan, you know, many people within the UK where there's been um, cases of, overt racism but there's a lot of um covert stuff what people are definitely feeling and that ties in very much to mental health because that was a topic that i, I want to sort of get a bit more into i mean you slightly touched on it and i know you've done extensive work in the past on um you know trauma 
and, and the effects of some of those things within the black community. And, you know, we can always go back over some of that stuff in the, in the future, or you can leave us some links maybe to some of your work that we can send people to check out and stuff, because that's a whole, you know, a long, lengthy conversation and subject within itself, but it's very important. And that's one thing that I respect about the stuff that you did. You've always included stuff that's truthful, whether it be from a, a father deficit aspect, whether it's from a, a mental health aspect, a trauma aspect, but how these things all correlate together because these things are all super important. And it's not just, you know, one part of the thing that makes the problem. It's, it, it's many, many different things. And um, so, you know, you definitely surmised that great. In terms of, I, I, want, I want to sort of ask you because even with what you were saying, and you're a very passionate person. And sometimes, you know, our passion can be misunderstood. And it was like you saying with the guy on the, the bus, he was, that he was very passionate, but we could, some, you know, we could feel his pain and his passion where he's coming from. Uh, at some point last year, I can't remember when it was, you did something and it was something I had spoken on myself in the past, but you spoke on the harms and the impact of, I guess, some of the music how it is nowadays. Yeah. And primarily, you did mention a few names, which, you know, others have mentioned in the past and others have been scared to mention. I mean, what Tim Westwood named me, Charlie Slough, and this ain't bashing him or anything. We know, especially us personally, we know Tim personally from years. We, you know, we was... Um... We need to say what it is. <laughs> That's the key to say what it is. So, yeah. so even, even, even in my own community where I may know a brother up the road, that's involved in gangs and prepared to kill his other brother that lives 15 minutes down the road, I'm still going to tell him that he's wrong. I, yeah. don't, I don't need to agree with whatever he's doing. So yeah, we know Tim Westwood, but we also have to speak out and be very clear about what it is that we've been seeing what, what we're doing. But again, you remember what I said earlier about distractions? Mm -hmm. When we were younger, we were distracted by a lot of things, you know, of, girls and of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, just, we're just happy to be there. Yeah, but when, yeah. you actually, when you actually reflect on the process, of which that become, and then you also see what happened, how, you know, individuals that he may have been around got sidelined and individuals that just had the same amount of talent as he did, didn't get the opportunity to, to be on the stage in the platform. These are the sort of things that we're ultimately talking about. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as it goes to the, to the point, you know, I've been doing a lot of research. It goes, it links ultimately towards my PhD. Okay. I mean, I'm halfway through my PhD at the minute, uh, um, which kind of looks at the role of social media uh, multimedia and music um, and how that is what I argue kind of the extra variable that explains why um, we have so much violence in our local community. So I'm not advocating that things like poverty and austerity and intergenerational trauma doesn't exist and are not the, the root causes. I guess what I'm arguing is that there's add-ons in more of a contemporary sense. And I guess one of the things that I was um, more so brought my attention to this kind of study was 2016, when you may remember West Midlands was identified and probably still is um, as the gun crime capital um, of Europe. Mm -hmm. And at that particular time, you know, there was a number of discharges, I would say, in the Northwest Corridor between Harkley, Handsworth, Winston Green, um, Newtown, uh, Lazelle's kind yeah, of yeah. area. And there was a particular music video that came out from some of the young people that I used to work with. And I remember when the video came out, well, it wasn't a video, you know, when they do those previews to say that it's out Sunday at eight. Yeah, yeah. And when I looked at that preview, I said, nah, this is, I don't, this, I don't think this one is a, is a, is a good one. And yeah, I remember yeah. having a conversation with them saying, you know what, I think that this video, even though it's the same genre as everybody else is doing, what's been mentioned in this particular song, I think 
is problematic. But anyway, as you know, Young Bucks, they've already done it. They've already paid. They're trying to turn back on the, the situation. And the video got released. And the detail of the things in which those young men were talking about um, ultimately kind of concluded to a, an arrest, series of arrests, uh, where this same young man was given 27 years um, and the motivations um, from his music video and the things that he mentioned in his music videos pointing towards five incidents that happened in our local community, mm. 27 years. And I think that was quite significant because we've never seen anything like that in Birmingham. We have seen here. that throughout. We yeah. have seen individuals that have made certain songs, but for the first time, we've started to see drill music in a West Midlands context be used against individuals within the criminal justice system. And I guess that built onto my um, developing. So I was uh, in conjunction with uh, uh, Dr. Robinson Edwards, as I mentioned earlier, and we done the first um, cross-section analysis on drill music. So we looked at Chief Keith um, at the time, as was seen as kind of the, the father of drill. Um, in Chicago, and then we looked at some of the most the prominent individuals in the UK at the time. So then we obviously looked at South London, um, and obviously from a West Midlands context, the same young man in which um, I'm making reference to, and kind of looked at what are the similar dynamics in terms of the music, in terms of expression. And the only thing that we identified that was different between the American um, discourse as well as the UK discourse is that the fact that in the in America they were able to show firearms in their video. Of course, yeah. And in the UK, they're not. They're so the language it. was the same. The dress was the same. The expression was the same. The terminologies were the same. The you know, talking about ups and pulling, the, you know, all of those things. We, were also the the yeah. only thing that was different from a visual perspective was the use of firearms. And I thought that was quite interesting. And on the back of that, that was the what kind of motivated me to do some more research around the role of social media. And one of the key things that I kind of highlighted in that study and a number of studies is the link between social media and narcissistic behavior. Okay. Yeah. What I argue is that social media um, in its inception creates narcissistic ideas and mentalities. And you can just look at young people of now, course. look how they behave. Yeah. And, 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 and not, just, not, just young, not just young people, old people too. <laughs> people as well, but you just, just, just see how people behave. Of you course. Know, it's all about me, it's all about expressing what I look like. Of course. It's so I argue in context that the inception of social media creates narcissistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. And if an individual is a, that is a narcissist and gets challenged for his narcissist behaviors or uh, expressions, those individuals oftentimes want to respond. But as an extra variable that I also feel like I think I need to mention as well, and I want to give too much to my PhD so someone yeah, can't yeah, run no. <laughs> But I also talk about uh, uh, nihilistic ideas and, and okay. uh, term, uh, tendencies. So I'm talking about individuals that have this mindset of, you know what, I'm not going to make it until 21 anyway. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just going to live a life of destruction. And they say in their music, you know, game, when we were growing up, it was get rich or die trying. Yeah, yeah, and now yeah. these dudes are saying, you know, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't, I'd rather get caught with it than get caught without it. And you know, what, I don't want to yeah. die young. I'd yeah, rather yeah. get judged by 12 and buried by but six. This is a nihilistic mentality. So mm -hmm. my analogy is that if someone that's a nihilist based on the system of, uh, oppression, injustice, racism, austerity, poverty, trauma, mental health, dysfunctional families, poor housing conditions. And if an individual's already got those things and been impacted by those things already, when they meet social media 
and then have a narcissistic tendency when an individual disrespects that with the nihilism, what you then find is that the, the beef moves from the social media sphere into the physical world. And that may help us to understand that when someone feels disrespected on, on YouTube or Instagram or Snapchat, it might help us to understand why there's a, 20, there's a shooting 24 hours later or yeah. even 12 hours later from something that gets uploaded on a social media platform. So that's where I'm at in terms of my research and trying to understand the context of violence. And I think you made a point that it's not just one thing. It's, 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 a, it's multifaceted. It's a number of things. Of and I think part of the problem that we have when we talk about young people, violence, trauma, we only like to talk about things through one lens. And it's important that we look at those overlaps or those intersections between a number of things. You know, course, it's just yeah. like what starts a fire. Yep. You know, it's not just the match because the match is also connected to wood. And, you know, there's, you know, there's so cause, many things that cause, that cause, cause an effect. Start, yep. But we can't just look at one thing. So we can't just say, oh, yeah, it's because, you know, of racism. You can't, you can't, it's not just because, you know, we watch something on social media of a brother of ours being killed. No, it's multiple things. That's just the tipping point because of we've course. seen it now. And we're like, you know what? I'm, I've been out on this lockdown fatigue. Then I want to while out. And yeah. now they're still killing our people during lockdown. And I read something the other day that the brother beat COVID-19 and then left from COVID-19 to be killed by one of the oppressor's representatives. And yeah. we look at those particular things and we, we're enraged. But the problem is, is that oftentimes we don't understand how to respond to that. And I think this is where it becomes really important of looking at the philosophies and the blueprints of individuals that have come before us, like Marcus Mazaya Garvey, because many of, of us course. grew up in that Pan-Africanist movement, the Saturday School movement, Marcus Garvey nurseries. Nurseries, all of that. But course. we had blueprints around how do we respond when these particular issues happen. We can look at Haiti and what happened in terms of the revolution that took place in Haiti. We can look at some of the key things in which... Um, uh, Malcolm X and what he was talking about, about positive revolution. And then we can look at what the Panthers were saying, you know, mm -hmm. and there's so many different aspects that we can look at um, these ideas about how do we overcome and how do we topple the system or at least resurrect a new one in terms of a, a paradigm shift in doing that. But oftentimes we don't reflect on those that came before us and look at those manuscripts, look at those blueprints and ultimately adapt them. So our frustration with our people is sometimes it's confusion yeah, because yeah. when we're talking about a systematic change that means that we as a people need to unify and we and need to change what we're doing is worrying so much about our oppressor um and wanting our pressure to walk with us as opposed to unifying our people to get them to understand and that's just being real and yeah, this yeah. is not saying that you know that we're anti anybody else but we're, we're pro ourselves and i think these are the things that are really important that we need to really dissect um, and we really need to start having conversations about what does economics look like in our community and how do we utilize economics as a leverage to in enable us to be able to buy land buy property so we actually can truly start doing things for ourselves because what we've experienced post um being so-called free from these plantations we've been catching hell in the west at the and same time that ain't going to change because whilst that wealth um, that has been built by um, colonialism um, and continues to build on an imperialistic mindset through their capitalist system. 
we're going to remain the same. And I would assume that those that are in those positions of power are not going to try and give up their power just no, because we're no protesting yeah. in the middle of the street. Yeah, no chance. You know, that that's real. I mean, once again, you know, um, you dropped some powerful information there from the, from the top. There was a few points I wanted to touch on. I've, I've just got to try and re refresh back where, where you went with them. Um, I mean, everything you said was right. You know, absolutely spot on. No lies spoken. And, and that's what we want. And I think that's what the people have always definitely respected about you. And even at the time where we're at now, it's never been more of an important time to have these conversations and put this sort of information out there. What I wanted to slightly touch on was the, the music aspect. There was, there was a couple of points within that. One point was, um, do you feel, because I, I watched something the other day and somebody was saying, you know, they feel hip hop is a, a huge part of um, just the destruction of white supremacy. Now, even for myself as an artist, I've had to even check myself on even things that I've done, partook, partaken in. Um, I do understand you have the elements of art, artistic expression, but this is why I do things like this so people can see the theology behind a person so they can see and hear a bit more about me. I don't just put out just one um, tone or vein of music. Some of us look at like Tupac and say, Tupac was one, even to this day, one of the most um, recognized conscious black men on the planet. Now, every Tupac song wasn't necessarily about just have you know or this you know just on one level of consciousness he spoke about yeah. literally everything so i think as an artist there's a level where you can sort of be able to um speak about the time and what's actually going on but you have to be really careful i want to draw this in because i remember years ago you invited me to um a film screening and i, I came to this film screening with you and it was um some young people from the community that put together a film and at that screening, unbeknownst to me, there was two un undercover police officers who came up to me and they was like, hey, are you fans, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. I just thought there was like a couple of fans because it was like young white girls. Nah, they turned out to be a multi-agency Yeah, yeah, gang unit, Magu and all that stuff. Yeah. And, um, which was interesting because I went on to even do some work with them and um, I sat down with one of the chief, the chief of police, and he actually had told me you know, we've been checking out your stuff, but we see that you aren't a certain way. You have a positive impact on the people that you're around. And I sort of likened it like they were saying, oh, well, even though you make rap music, we know that you're professional and you're not out there trying to like kill people and do all this other crazy stuff. And he actually told me that, and he was quite proud of it at the time. He was like, he said he had been in gangs in the past himself, older white guy, and he was saying half the stuff that a lot of these young people are doing, he was saying he's done worse than that himself and it ain't even that serious. It could be um, sort of changed. And he was also proud of the fact that he, um, I remember him telling me he used, he personally used um, some of the video evidence from some of the young artists. At the time it was, um, I ain't gonna put nobody on blast, I'm gonna say it was like gangbusters are us. They had, they had something yeah, like one of those yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember him telling me, yo, I personally, you know, played a part in using that to, mm. to, show, to show, you know, that season and stuff like that. So um, it's everything you say, no lies spoken, like I said, because we can actually, we've been through it and we can see how, how these things sort of line up. I just wanted to touch on the hip hop though, dude, because a lot of us, hip hop's got, especially for a lot of us growing up in the diaspora, you know, hip hop was a huge part of our culture because you mentioned colonialism, you mentioned um, some of the things that have happened. We're, we're talking to people that have been robbed and stripped of our culture, our heritage and certain things. Yes, there's some of us like that are a bit more fortunate, like in our family and in certain other families where we had elders who 
you know, with, with that sort of in tune still that they was able to pass on certain powerful messages at the same time, so on. But not everybody really had that. Not everybody had the 104s. Not everybody had the, um, the Marcus Garvey and stuff. So to a lot of people, hip hop and the music, it became the culture. What we, what we saw and we can go into when there's studies that um, point towards it is the culture was somewhat hijacked, especially by, you know, powerful interests who yes. wanted to put out a certain type of music and style. And, you know what, look, look at us now, how much years, remember when we was young and you had like, I'm Nas, I'm Jay-Z, I'm Dipset, I'm this, I'm, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. what, now what we're seeing, even with the beauty of like what we're doing, conversing on stuff like this, you're seeing rappers and stuff doing this thing now and they're getting to explain that back in the day, they weren't really allowed to do it because the labels were pitting them against each other. But imagine yeah. the impact that would have had for a lot of young black kids growing up to see yeah. like, you know, D Black and, and, and you know, um, the rap coming together and stuff like that at that time, that would have had an impact for us to come together a bit more, but it yeah. led to more separation. So I, I think the music can be used harmfully and destructively, especially for those of us who are kind of devoid and missing a culture. Um, tying into the cultural aspect, because this ties in with everything. It's just like gangs, some say that's the same reason why kids get into gangs and stuff, because yeah. You know, just that void, what's missing in the home sometimes, just um, people yeah. feel like they've got nobody they can talk to, nobody they can relate with. Sometimes there's issues with their parents and all that sort of stuff. I mean, a lot of us as conscious individuals, maybe till we get to our 20s or 30s is when we start even understanding stuff about our own life. When we're young people, we don't understand it. We're going through it. Yeah. So um, in your own sort of experiences and seeing people like... Um, not not to say is there is there a way that causes this sort of gang mentality a, a lot of people really truly feel as though they're fighting for a cause and even what we see in some of the stuff that's happening now all around the world um the causation what cause are they actually fighting for because it's a cause that a lot of people seem to just be focused on themselves there's a lot of internal conflicts and stuff through your um you know your studies and even your experiences and stuff what would you put that down to because um People get into these gangs as a family, but then this whole fighting for a cause, it doesn't then become, okay, let's extend yeah, this family to other black families. I, I, I think one of, one of the things I talk about in my research um, is that, or question, is is why do people kind of associate themselves with specific groups? Mm -hmm. And if you just look at it from a basic level, you know, just from a human needs perspective, all of us need to be around people as collectives anyway. With social, with, with the way we're programmed, the way that we were created, yeah. with social interaction beings, okay. you know, so we, we, we move as collectives. However, whilst we know that we group as collectives, we always also know that in from the beginning of time, whenever there's been one group versus another group in the same vicinity, there's always going to be needs of one group that may differ from another group. And there may be very simple things that may cause those two groups to be at conflict with each other. And I use the word conflict loosely, not necessarily violence, because you look at, you know, when we was at school, you know, it was your school versus another school wasn't of necessarily course. violent. Uh, uh, you know, you play football, teams. you know, and then you look at every aspect of society, it's groups that go against each other. Now, when we're talking about context, now we're talking about generally inner city communities or rural spaces that are poor and impoverished, You've got communities that are in particular environments that don't have the access to um, some of the things that other people in society may have access to. So we're talking about you looking at any of the spaces where there's high unemployment, 
where there's issues around injustice, where there's issues around high mental health, where there's issues around poor health of the people, poor education of the people. There's lack of business um, and investment in that community for it to, to be able to sustain itself in a range of different ways. Then you've got, as you mentioned earlier, individuals that are educated and with all their skills and talents, leave that community and go into a nicer community or go abroad to give their skills and talents. And then you have communities that are ultimately put there for a range of different reasons. People may have immigrated or people may be trying to flee war-torn countries, yeah. uh, which is also linked to the same imperialistic mindset in yeah. which we're talking about. And in that same community, you've got individuals just literally trying to survive the first law of nature. And when we're trying to survive now, it's like, well, how do we make money? So one of the key things that we, we do in collectives is we, uh, we assimilate with individuals that are ultimately going to sustain us. So you just go to remember Maslow's basic hierarchy. Needs. Hierarchy of needs. So, yep. so we do basic needs. We need to eat. And, you know, we need to be able to, to feel comfortable. You know, we need to have security Shout needs. Out. You know, we need to have shelter. We need to have all of those things. We need to have some sort of feeling of self-fulfillment. Like, you know what, that of course. whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm going to have goals and ambitions to be better at what it is that I'm doing. So whilst I have all of these needs at met, the individuals that live in my little small tight vicinity are the ones that are going to protect me if there's any problems. And as I just mentioned before, you have groups of people that are in one particular space that may differ in terms of just the postcode yeah. People align themselves to individuals in that postcode. Now, let's be real. When we used to live in certain areas, when we used to live in Hansworth, Hockley, Winston Green. Yeah, yeah. Why am I going to Alan Rock for? Mm. Why am I going to Small Heath? Yeah, yeah. Why am I going Newtown? Why am I going Lazelles? Because everything I need is in my area. The shop's up the top of the road. You know, if I need to buy something from the supermarket, that's up the top of the road. My auntie lives up the road. My nan lives up the road. So there's no reason for me to leave that particular area. Now, when we're talking about groups of individuals, that then when there's issues around conflict, because the conflict oftentimes is around a number of things. So we talk about things like power, respect. But where does that power and respect ultimately come from? Because things have been imported into those communities, things like drugs, things like guns, things like alcohol. And those things are not created by the people in that tight-knit community, in that tight circle. So when people get their hands on these things, and realize that, wait there, if I'm in an environment and I can't make no money, then in order for me to make some money is that I'm going to need to sell to the same people that live within my, my, my particular space. But whilst I'm doing that, there's going to be other individuals that are doing the exact same thing as me. So in order for me to be at the top league of the table, I'm going to need to take people out. So the moment a violent incident takes place, and remember, there's no justice in those same communities because those communities feel that they can't link with those that are supposed to be out there to protect and to serve. Protect, of course. We create um, laws within our own community, like stop snitching, which is counterproductive. So people will murder each other in the community, rape each other in the local community, and damn sure get away with it unless there's a camera. So whilst those things take place, what people then do is then say, you know what, I'm so aggrieved that I want to ride out and I want to respond to that particular issue because that individual um, disrespected my family or harmed one of my family members. And then it becomes a cycle of violence. Yeah. So nobody knows where the root of the cycle of the violence came from. When we backtrack, we know that these things have been pl placed upon us, but we also have to backtrack as well because there's also issues in them same communities that have been pit against each other, also suffer with high mental health. 
why that's linked to some of the things that we spoke about earlier, about injustice, about keeping that in and not knowing how to respond to a system that um, suppresses us and keeps us down in one particular type of place. Yep. And then we're trying to think, how do we, how do we live better in a, an environment where individuals that may live 20 minutes up the road seem to have a better quality of life than us and we're just like them and we're equal as them so then you find that those same communities blame each other and that will help us to explain why you'll have certain you'll have probably four different communities from different groups that blame each other for the reason why they're in that same particular system and why they're poor so they will blame the Romanians and the Romanians will blame this and then the, no, the, no. the Bangladeshi or Pakistani community will blame the African-Americans or the African-Caribbeans or whatever it may be. Everybody's blaming each other. But when you check it, someone's come and put us in this environment. Okay. Someone's come and imported the drugs, the, the alcohol, the, 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 the guns into the community. Whilst we're traumatized from the things that we see every single day, and then what people do is that they align themselves to groups. So when I understand the concept of gangs, gangs make sense in the concept of what it is that I'm talking about. Problem is, however, is that the gangs are harming their own people that look like them. And what they're not doing is protecting their communities. Because I would say that if gangs were utilized in the right way to protect their communities, to ensure that the elderly are okay, and to make sure that the youth are not being harmed, for me, that would be a real gang. But unfortunately, what happens is people harm each other that are in very close distance to them. And that will help us to understand what happens in the context of those environments. I mean, that's real and that's deep. I mean, even what you just said on the last point about the gangs, it's the same thing. A lot of us know, um, you know, the Crypt of the Blood, same thing. They started out as protection outfits. I mean, even the nation, the Islam, we, uh, one well, of the most powerful... Just, just to cut you one second, before the Crips and the Bloods, who was it? The Black Panthers. Oh, the pan oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Panthers, yeah, of course. And that's why we have to which, we have to say that part first. And, and the so we, Panthers so we came by together Malcolm. To, to help our communities, of course, to lift our communities because they followed the blueprint of of, of, of self development. Yeah, but, exactly. But what happened? We know this now from and it's in the public domain. We know that on the J Edgar Hoover brought in cocaine um, from Nicaragua, from Nicola, Colombia, I was and put drugs in the communities of, of America. Course to destabilize any black movement that was trying to reach that, that self-determination. And yep. through that um, particular um, strategy that the government used at that time to destabilize those communities, when they gave the drugs to those communities, one of the internal issues that the Panthers were having was other Panther members started to dabble into either taking the drugs or selling, or selling the drugs in order to make money. Yep. And then that started to disrupt. And there's a brilliant... Um, uh, uh, drama series that was created by our brother John Singleton and he's always been onto something because from Boys in the Hood John he was Singleton I'll call it. I'll call Larry yeah, Fishman, yeah, yeah. I know yeah, he's yeah. passed I know what? he passed um, Rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. long ago but what we do know is that he left us some jewels and I'll there's a scene in his, in his thing called Snowfall where it shows that the Panthers um, and there's a, there's a scene where the Panthers are standing up amongst each other and then there's some youth that are just walking with guns and balaclavas. And that is very symbolic because what it talks about is that there was confusion from the Panthers, almost as if, what the hell is this and what's going on? And that is, a, is, is, is important to understand here that we know that the dismantlement of our organizations nationally, um, globally, that were out there to kind of 
protect our people in those same communities to ensure that we were doing for ourselves were dismantled and now has been created um, through the drugs and the alcohol and the guns and the violence to kind of create new groups yeah. that ultimately are against each other and not for each other. Well, and then when we look at, you know, um, I would say Tupac and Biggie, yeah. I would say more so highlighted the whole issue around gangsterism and the idea of West Coast and East, East Coast. Coast. And now we look at the context of what happens in the UK, that same mindset of beefing you up across the road is a lot more smaller because we're in that same vicinity. Okay. Sorry to cut you, but I just wanted to add that part. Yeah, in. no, I'm glad you added them in because I think there's some brilliant points and even that, that's made the, um, the reason why I mentioned even the Panthers and I'm glad you drew the correlation, you know, to the Panthers and the Crips and the Bloods because I mentioned, I was talking the nation because, you know, Malcolm, did great work setting up around New York and all that. He taught so, he taught, he did so much great work. People, it's unfathomable that some people wouldn't even know. And, you know, yeah. And that's how even us as the people things and the knowledge and the information it spread and it helped birth new organizations and stuff as well. And some of these organizations, it was the more the point I was touching on, they were started doing that. They was policing the streets themselves. They was policing their communities themselves. They was raising up their own people into, you know, to, to step up and do better. And I think we need more of that, which touches on where I wanted to sort of take things with um, how we can heal going forward. Slightly, after, not off topic, but within topic, before we get to that, you made a huge point just about the um, introdu introduction of like drugs and alcohol and certain things. Now, as much as I, I hear you 100% with um, like we've got a lot of other groups out here, especially in the UK, that are uh, subject to some of the same things we're subject to. However, there's still a lot of other people, and I'm not saying black people aren't guilty of some things, but on a mass level, you know, there's, there's other groups and nations that on a mass level, they're bringing in heroin. On a mass level, they yeah, bring in other drugs and stuff. But, and, but they, and, you they know, stuff that they, 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 I'm talking about. And this, so when, when I'm talking we need, about we that, need to make this clear as well in some yeah, cases. Sometimes. When, and just to kind of, just as a clarification, when we're talking about racism, white supremacy, that doesn't suggest that all white people are racist. No, I, I said that, that the other day. Yeah. This system was created by Europeans and maintained after blood, sweat and tears and free labour of black and brown people across the earth. Yeah. And whilst that wealth is being maintained, you're going to have other groups that buy into the idea that we can also get piece of the pie Thank as you. long as we maintain that. But it's, all, it's important that, yes, you're going to have other groups. You're going to have Arabs. You're going to have Asians that also support in terms of that destruction nationally. But that only benefits them as a particular group. As a community. It may not benefit their, their whole group. Yeah. So it's important to understand that as well. And then also you're going to have those of us that are working with the oppressor too. Of course, too. yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you've got those of us that, there's going to have those of us that go amongst them that are going to become our, you know, and this is why your history is important. You know, look at any slave revolt, whether that was on a ship or a plantation, who told the slave master that the revolt was going to happen tomorrow at eight o'clock in the morning? Exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't, <laughs> a, it wasn't a European slave master. It was yeah. one of us. So I'm, I'm very clear that you're going to have people that come from different groups that like the idea of capitalism and economics and it's all about themselves which is very selfish, selfish. and will utilize things in order to ensure that they're okay so i just wanted to make that clear that we're not making a very uh, a statement across all boards and saying that this is everybody of from course. every group other than black because you're gonna have you're gonna have turncoats you got to have people that are traitors in every group. In every group, good and bad. That are appeasing that same system, and that's the point I'm making. Mm -hmm. So even though they may be trying to benefit themselves, it still appeases that same system because it keeps them in check. 
Because when that same system wants to say, you know what, we don't want you no more, we'll do you for war crimes, you know, we'll do you for trafficking, because yep. you know, you're no longer um, something that we can utilize in order to people are missing. So, yeah. so we just have to make that very clear yeah, as well. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, it's a point that a lot of people are, are either scared or not real enough to even speak about. And, you know, that's one thing that definitely separates your work and the stuff that you've done over the years and continue to do from a lot of people because you never shy away from having the honest and real conversations and just speaking our things. In it. And it's not in a way to upset people. It's not in a way to cause any extra division. It's just talking the truth and, you know, speaking truth to power and stuff at the end of the day, yes. which sort of brings us back to not even in closing, because um, I want to look at, you know, going forward, just the, taking everything we've sort of spoke about and putting it into um, ways that we can heal. And, and there's one, there's one thing I feel like you asked me and I didn't answer the question properly. Okay, there you go. Um, and I think it's about the culture of vultures. We mentioned it, but I can't hear. You we asked didn't. another question, which I answered the second part, but not the first part. Okay, so we can and go One ahead. of the things that I just wanted to just quickly mention is that when we're talking about the concept of music, especially as we're talking about drill music, as it's become one of the most popular genres, um, and one of the questions that's often asked is that, well, you know, why would young people make such music if it's not real in some aspects? Or why would they be project projecting such toxic um ideas within their music knowing that it's going to harm and destroy their people mm. and one of the things that i always like to talk about is this idea about cultural vultures that exist within our community and we're talking about individuals that i've that either come to predominantly our young people because our young people don't own the record labels our, our young our young people don't own their distribution yeah. um of the songs that they make oftentimes it's predominantly white middle class men um that realize and recognize that they can make profit of our bloodshed, they can make profit off the things that we're talking about. And we'll say to young people that in order to make this money and continue to make this money, this type of music sells. So young people that wanna run up in the booth and talk about um, the bloodshed and the violence in their communities. The problem that I have with the toxic um, expressions that they project within their music and, and musicians have to have accountability is because as I mentioned before which links to the previous point where we're talking about groups that are against each other and the whole notion of this click versus that click is in a small space so if you're my manager as a in a record label and telling me to do this particular music and I'm talking about my ops my ops don't live an hour away my yeah. ops don't live three hours away six hours away on a plane they live 10 minutes down the road so the likelihood that when I release a music video and I'm going to the shops or trying to just live my life, the likelihood of me seeing an individual who I classify as my op is always going to be high. But that doesn't matter to the label as long as they're making sure that they're getting money off the distribution of um, those particular songs. And then we have a number of cases and situations like, you may remember about a couple of years ago, there was a number of young people that would draw artists that had been on... Um, Tim Westwood's platform yeah. and within a week or so had got murdered within a local community. Now I'm not blaming these individuals but these individuals have to be held accountable okay. for what they allow in terms of the genocide that they that enable to sell in our communities. So it's almost like a golden ticket yeah. and I talk a lot about this in my work is that you know it's almost like saying well if I'm broke and you have an opportunity to make some money then then why want to do it? 
So, Craig, why are you telling me not to make this music? And it's, I'm not selling drugs. I'm not harming people. Exactly. But I argue you are harming people through the things that you're talking about because if it's around disrespect, if it's around issues around taunting, um, upholding a particular geographical space, postcode, block, yeah, yeah. building, and other individuals from a symbolic perspective see those buildings as 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 their enemy, people are going to be prepared to do whatever it is that they do to in order to ensure that their group, their clique, their gang, their circle is not feeling disrespected. And if that means violence in order to do that, then I'll do it. So that's what I mean by culture vultures. And then you've got labels where they're also going to profit and benefit. We can look at what Adidas is doing. We can look at what Puma is doing. We can look at what Nike have done in the past. And we know that, yeah, we, we, we like these brands and we wear these brands. But again, it's that capitalist nature that I'm talking about. And that capitalist 10%. nature maintains those individuals in that particular space. And you look at Charlie Slough is in LA and living in a nice house. But all the individuals that have jumped on his booth, yes, many of them have, have had opportunities and had better opportunities in terms of wealth and whatnot. But what have they left in their community? Bloodshed, genocide. So we have to talk about accountability. And I'll say, as what I said in the beginning, that I love and respect my young people, my brothers, and I'll always ride for them. But we have to call out the bullshit when we see it. You know, we have to call it out. Just like we're doing the Black Lives Matter. Where are the gangsters at? These are the questions that I'm asking. All the men that do road, where you at? Mommy can't be at the top of the road protesting and you're on the corner eating food. You know, these things... These are the things that's important because you're our soldiers because yep. we know that you're going to be uncompromising. We know that you're going to be the most rebellious ones. Yep. If we need your protection, if that same oppressor feels that, you know what, we ain't trying to give up this system exactly. so easily. And what history tells us in any revolt, these key things around unity and bringing in the youth, those of us that um, are rebellious, all we need to do is channel their energy into a positive thing I'm to start close. getting to kill each other and kill our communities and destroy our communities through the violence, through the selling of drugs and any other substance that they give to each other. And we get them into thinking revolution in a positive sense because that's ultimately what the change is. And I thought I just wanted to add that part in before we come to your last segment because you can't let those individuals go as well. No, you're right. And you know what? This is, it's absolutely valid. Um, and, you know, on the tail end of what you just said, peace to all the young people out there. Because I went to one of the BLM protests the other day. And even to this day, I'm still sitting here so inspired by what I've seen those young people do. And, you know, even being out there with them representing, but they're so passionate, they're so creative. And a lot of them, they're so switched on it. And, and because they don't, some people don't give the youth the time to talk to them. But when, a lot of them don't think they're stupid. They got a lot to say and they got a lot that they know. And they know what's going on. And that's how it's always been, you know. And that's why, you know, guys like us who have had um, opportunities when we was younger, there was other people around us. Maybe not all of them, but some of them who, you know, showed us some form of positive direction in that too. So we know, even when we was young, we know what it's like being young and feeling like people think that you don't know anything what's going on in the world. And you, and you do. Sometimes people ain't got the time to talk to you or even ask you anything. So um, that's spot on. The point about the culture vultures and Tim Westwood and them spot on. I, I, I dissed them years ago. Now, we know Westwood personally. I remember um, I was trying to get some stuff done with him. And this was the time when he was doing the, like the crib session sort of stuff. And I was like, you know, bring me up on there. And he was trying to sidetrack me through some of his people. And I was like, dude, A, you know me personally. When you come to Birmingham, you hit my phone to ask what's going on in the streets. You want to know what's going on with the, which gangs and this, that, and the other. So 
now I'm asking you for a favor. Even though you usually do most of my favors, this is something that could help advance my career. Now I'm somebody who's out here, independent black man, you know, um, building my own label, building my own outlets and stuff like that. So it's something easy that he could have did. I thought he didn't represent right. And then I had to check in and Charlie Slough and I challenged him on record and it's still out there. And, and even in the song, it wasn't a personal diss. I didn't think people understood it at the time, but I was talking about the same thing you were speaking about, you know, um, challenging them for the negative artists that they allow on their shows and stuff all the time. They, they give them the, um, the platforms to propagate a certain message. But when it comes to those of us who are out here, you know, doing stuff positive. And, and, and one of the things that I think is super important, when we was growing up, there was rappers that, yeah, they made a certain type of music, but if we looked up to somebody, especially personally, it's because they had something to say. They could, yeah, speak, no. they could, they could speak yeah, yeah, on yeah, something, yeah, you know. Like quality, even, you know, yeah. You know what I mean? That's something to say. So yeah, they would, they would do the, they would do the what we would now call road thing, but they would always talk about you having a mastermind, having a plan. You exactly. Know, be black and be proud. You know, yep. you read books. You know, you know, you know, queen. So yeah, yeah. you had the, you had the, you had many talk about the, the, the go to a club and do something or get into a beef or whatever. But they were talking about life in a way in which enabled us to think. Yeah. So you had, and I think Belly was in. Well, when we were growing up, that was kind of like one of them highlight films. Of course, and it yeah, showed yeah, that process yeah. between you know Nas and DMX and and all of those sincere and you know all of those characteristics, all those characters. Of course, that it played. showed everything. It showed the, everything. The snake but now when you talk that. about young people now in their music, there ain't no education in there. It's just about the, when I see my up, I'm gonna slide down. In the, I'm gonna Literally. slide around in the four door truck. I'm gonna skirt. I'm gonna click bang, and that's what it's all about. Chef him, stab him. We used to talk about this before. Genocide. I think you used to call it um, definitely a part of the genocide, but you used to um, define it as um, hyper masculinity. Yes, and, of course. Um, and and that's the other testing I've seen it myself. Even me being an artist and a producer, I've seen that. Even when I hear most stuff now from the youngsters or just out there, that's what it is. I even seen, I went somewhere and I seen a video and I couldn't believe that these people got to film this. It's these young kids and they're either sitting in an empty prison. Some, in some shots, they're, um, they're, they're sitting on police cars and, and in the back of, you know, they do... But all this sort of imagery that they're putting out, and I was like, wow, they're, they're supporting them to to do this, you know, at the same time. So um, I yeah, think yeah. That, that that's definitely what's going on. But, you know, in terms of the music, you know, there's always going to be, um, oh, wait, I'm getting a few kind of crazy glitches right now. Can you hear them sound like some gerbils? <laughs> okay, yeah. they, they, they got that. But yeah, no, in terms of the music and stuff like that, I think you're always going to have the different aspects of um, the positive and the negative. But I think sometimes as black people, we're blamed too much for the stuff that we do because you have movies, you have other stuff out there that people do and have that um, can be, you know, just taken on an entertainment level. But some say whether it's us that take things too serious or whether people just look at what we do and then it's magnified and they say, okay, wow. Well, you guys have gone too far. What I have noticed though, most of the other people making music now, like you've got a lot of white people making conscious, more conscious hip hop shades of like the old hip hop. But then you've got a lot of these other newer groups and races, they're making a lot of the same drill, gangstery sort of stuff. And um, Island is going off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make, yeah, they, yeah. and you know, they a lot of them, they drop in the, the N-bomb, the nigga, this thing, they, they, you know, it's, it's a whole different it's thing. Unpopular, unpopular culture. It's pop, pop culture and stuff now. But um, I think going, you know, going forward, you, how do we um, how do we move 
towards the end of 2020 to 2021, what advice would you give to like the youngsters or even just like some of our people out there that are going to be listening? How should we move? How can we move forward as a collective in ways where, you know, we can build or we can enhance just what we do? I think, I think one of the key things, again, is I would say study black radicalism. Um, and I think people, people some people are gonna say, "Whoa, what do you mean, right there?" When they hear the word radicalism, of course. And what we've been talking about throughout today's segment is radicalism. Radicalism is an extremism. <laughs> two different, two different things. Radicalism focuses on the idea that we need a new paradigm shift. Extremism is on the basis that I ain't trying to hear nothing, and I'm just trying to do what it is that I'm trying to do. Yeah. We're talking yeah. about extremism. What we're talking about is is proper complete change and we need a paradigm shift and part of that paradigm shift is recognizing as a people that the way we've been doing things post slavery up until now it's not working for us can't talk for anybody else but it's not working for us so that means then we need to unite and we need to find out how we can utilize our economics and infiltrate ways in which we can engage the system that benefits solely us and if that can't happen, then what we need to do is set up our institutions for ourselves. There is no other way. So it's about unity. Separation? It's about unity. It's about economics. It's about education. It's about understanding politics. And it's also understanding about warfare as well. And when I say understanding warfare, understanding the strategies that are going to be used, because I've said it consistently again, capitalist society ain't trying to give up. The World Bank ain't trying to close tomorrow and the IMF ain't trying to close down tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Of which I said, when we're talking about the wealth of of nations that have been built upon us, when we're talking about reparations, they wouldn't be able to pay back our reparations because to give back reparations to our people means they're going to need to shut down their whole system. And I would like to believe, and I would would say that I'm certain that there's going to be individuals in positions of power that are saying, hell no. They ain't trying to give up no power for somebody that's asking the question. Yeah. So it's important that we understand what it is that we're doing here. So when we're out protesting, we're saying we want justice. Justice for what? When we're out there shouting, we want um, change. Change for what? What does change look like? And this is why it's important that we start revisiting the, the, the teachings of Marcus Messiah Garvey. We start looking yeah. at Franz Fanon. We start looking at uh, Malcolm X. We start looking at the last speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King and all of these other individuals, the Panthers, because what they were talking about how we can remove ourselves from a system that's benefiting from us. And we know that the pound is strong. We know the dollar is strong. If we stop buying things, we know the impact it's going to have. You know, we know Nike and Puma and just Adidas, they, they, they thank us because they know that their profits are based on the black pound. So we know that we have leverage to be able to do a series of things. And whilst we utilize that money as a tool, we need to utilize that to buy property, to buy buildings, so we can do like what every other community has done, like the Jewish community, um, like um, Sikh communities, um, and some um, South Asian Muslim communities have set up their own institutions, meaning like schools, and stuff to benefit their own people. Of course, so when we're talking about pro-blackness, we ain't talking about we're anti-anything else. All we're talking about is pride and all we want is self-determination. And I'm just not willing to ask for that from my oppressor. So that's why no disrespect to our people. I'm not gonna step out unless we know what that platform is going to look like. Yeah, and I think these are the things that we need to be clear about. And it's just about galvanizing those of us that know 
that have a little bit of economics That's and real. utilizing our skills and talents to say, you know what, we actually can build our own school. Thanks. If we've got the resource to pay the exact same resource, same finances that the education system is doing. But I believe that as a people, part of our program is that we've been programmed to be dependent and also fearful of leaving the, the, the white man system. Oh, of course. And whilst we have that mindset, that also distracts us into when we're talking about this idea of change and you speak to a person and say, what does change look like? They're just saying, oh, I don't just want people to go to jail. No, we don't want people to just go to jail. We want the whole system to change. Yeah. Because we've tried, we've tried doing reports and going into their policies and shaping the policy. And they're still killing us at slaughter. What we haven't tried is black radicalism. And I say black radicalism is, is free from extremism. I have to make that clear on your platform before they try and start saying yeah, yeah, that yeah. we're trying to promote violence. Yeah, that's no. not what we're talking about. There's, there's some very key distinctions. And there's a book I just want to quickly share with you um, from one of our people from our local community. Is actually a professor at Birmingham City University, Professor Kehinde Andrews. And he wrote a book called Back to Black. And he explains what black radicalism looks like in the 21st century, looking at the teachings of Malcolm X and others. So and it's just very clear that we, no, that, we that, understand that, we've got the blueprints that are out there. Everything's there. That, that is, are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna adapt it to our context being in the UK? And are we gonna mobilize to move that forward? That's more so the bigger question that I think your viewers that are watching this today should be uh, left with. Yeah, no, that's real. I think there's no other better way than to leave it with that. Once again, can you tell us <clears throat> that book title again? Uh, back to Black and the Back called, to Black and the uh, author is it's called Back to Black by Kehinde Andrews. Um, if you just type it in Google, Back to Black, it's called Retelling Black Radicalization for the 21st Century. Okay, I think that's definitely the whole goal. When I went to um, when I went away for a break in Africa, I took that book and I read it, and it, it also makes those clear distinctions of you know, when people are called uh, terrorists or extremists are very different to black radicals. Okay, that's the very different. It actually breaks down what the difference is. If someone's an extremist, they yeah. ain't trying to talk. They ain't trying to have no understanding of a strategy that moves forward. And someone that is a radical that wants change is talking about what does that look like in context of galvanizing people to create something for themselves in a new paradigm. Well, it's, that, that's, that's well said, man. And um, that's the best way to sum it up, especially with everything going on at the minute. And it mirrors what I said at the BLM march the other day. And it was the same thing. I said, we need leadership. Instead of having these big groups and you've got 10, you know, people over there, 20 people over there, 50, everybody in all these different groups and nobody's got no idea or no direction of where this thing is going or, or what leadership or what strategies are in place. Is there a manifesto? Is there anything like that? So, um... That is absolutely spot on. Our viewers here and our listeners, BOA TBM, you've just been guaranteed. I know you're going to be blown, blown away by listening to this. And um, have you got any socials or anything like that you want people to check yeah, out? So if or you anything? want to find me on Instagram, I'm Street Academics UK, or one word, I'll say that again, Street Academics UK. Um, if you want to find me on my website, if you want to have a look at my uh, research or some of my YouTube videos, um, that's www.craigpinkney.com. Um, and if you just type my name around, you'll, you'll, you'll see me. Um, and I'm on Twitter. You want to, want to grab me. Um, I'm on, I'm on real action UK or one word. Um, but it's all about building and helping the youth 
um, and as I said, bridging that gap between academia and the streets. So exactly. let's keep the conversations going, and I hope that we can have a part two just to focus solely on trauma. Yeah, no, that would be great because I know you specialize in especially a lot of that. And you, you know, what gonna be dope, especially when we talk on that, we'll be able to draw in so many different comparisons and stuff. And um, so that's definitely dope. We appreciate the time and all that, fam. Um, and just on the last note, I'm just gonna say props due to everything you've achieved and are continuing to achieve. Um, I didn't actually know you had the website up, so that's great. I'm gonna check that out myself, and it would be good to see the pinky name out there. With that being said, peace to the whole Pinky family, man. Um, our uncles, our aunties, I seen um, Auntie Dan the other day representing Strong um, in the papers and stuff as well. And, you know, I seen even some pictures. I didn't even see the grandma and all that and stuff as well. And it was like, yeah, man, so um, that's real. So with that being said, man, um, peace to the family. Uh, we're going to tune y'all back in next time. Um, salute and support and um, stay real, stay woke and look out for you folks, man. That's what the message is.